Well, hello and welcome to 15-Minute Theology, a podcast covering the central truths of the Christian faith in 15 minutes and probably a little bit more. Joining me today is Jordan Stefaniak from the London Lyceum, and today what we are going to be doing is talking about a not very simple topic, divine simplicity. What does it mean when we talk about the fact that God is a simple God? Jordan is, like I mentioned, the co-founder of the London Lyceum. He's host of the podcast of the same name. He's also a fellow alumnus of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, where he's currently pursuing his PhD. Uh, Jordan, uh, welcome to 15-Minute Theology. Yeah, thanks for having me. And it is confusing. So I have a THM from Southeastern. I'm a research okay. fellow at Southeastern, but I'm actually finishing my PhD at the University of Birmingham in the UK, okay. though I live right here in North Carolina. So okay. uh, I hang out at Southeastern a, a good frequent amount, but I'm technically not a student there. Okay. Okay. Thank you for that. So the heart is Southeastern, but the, yeah. the pedigree is Yes, uh, that's Birmingham. right. Okay. That's <laughs> awesome. And your, your work at Birmingham is also in simplicity. Is that correct? No, well, so okay. sort of. So I do a lot of work in the orbit of what is often popularly called classical theism. And I also do stuff which would be termed conciliar Christology, but all these things end up coming together, thinking about who God is, thinking about who Christ is. So in relation to the human nature aspect and thinking about all the stuff that goes on with that. So not all of my stuff is directly related to this, but everything kind of, it's kind of like a big web. Everything gets tangled up together. So I, I think about divine simplicity a lot. But it does play a significant role in different areas of the work that I'm doing. I love that. And then in addition to that, you're interacting with really systematic theology, theology proper, doctrine of God as a whole throughout most of your life. So yeah. I'm just curious, how has theology as a whole, maybe even just theology proper specifically, helped shape you in your discipleship to Jesus? Well, I think, I mean, there's several things. And I think we'll talk a little bit about it when we think about divine simplicity and its relevance for the Christian faith. But I think... I mean, obviously, there's simple illustrations that you can give. When you meet somebody that you, you want to marry, for me and my wife, you know, it, it would be weird and, and unhelpful to not want to get to know her. The more I get to know her, the more that I love her. In the same way, the more I get to know and understand who God is, the more I love him and my, my understanding of that. So these things kind of like grow together. My yeah. love and my knowledge are supposed to be going up and up together. So I think that's a simple way to explain why those things matter. Mm. Uh, they're, they're obviously each, as you explore different divine attributes, each of them can be in different ways, healing and supporting to you as a, as a Christian. You can think of things like what's called divine immutability, where God doesn't change and think about, oh, so his love for me doesn't change. And it's not just because he's really strong and powerful. It's because it's literally impossible for him to change. So that grounds the bedrock love of God for you in your life. And so there are different ways that these different attributes can really encourage you and shape you and, and grow your Christian faith. Yeah, it's fantastic. And the exploration of them might feel overwhelming at first. It might feel like there's these massive tomes of things that I have to explore and take my life and do a PhD in order to understand. But like you're saying, that they're incredibly accessible when you start wading into it and incredibly applicable, which leads us to simplicity. So full disclosure, when I first he heard divine simplicity, my thought was that's insane. Uh, God is incomprehensible. He's God. I'm the complex one, or excuse me, I'm the simple one. He's the complex one. Like how on earth could I call God simple? Did a little digging, found out that's not exactly what we're saying here. So 
can you kind of help me and others think through, okay, when we're saying God is simple, what, what are we saying here? What does this mean? Yeah. So when we say that God is simple, we're not saying that he is like dull or uninteresting, you know, it's like, or just not very sophisticated as if we could really understand him in you know, just like two seconds, I flip open the book and I understand everything there is to know about God. That's not what we mean when we say divine simplicity. It's, it's a technical term that you're going to find throughout throughout the great tradition of the church. And, and before that, you're going to find this in both Jewish and Islamic and, uh, and other uh, traditions of understanding who God is. And basically, it's saying that God isn't made up of parts. He's not composed of anything that's more fundamental than who he is. So if you look a lot at a lot of like Protestant, early Protestant sort of confessions of what they believe about God, they'll say things like God doesn't have a body. He doesn't have parts. There's just this idea that, I mean, I think most people would understand that God doesn't have a body, but there's also this, this next level that he doesn't have what is called metaphysical parts. So he's not composed of something like, well, you, you pour in 50% of his goodness and 25% of some wisdom, and you mix this, this batch together and voila, you, you've got God. That's, that's not fundamentally how it works. There's this axiom in the tradition that says, God is what God has, and God has mm. what God is. So there's this sort of identity relation. So I like to think of it as when you, if you were to ask me about who I am, you could say, well, Jordan is good, but goodness is in some way extrinsic to who I am. I can fluctuate in my goodness. Some days I'm good. If I didn't get a lot of sleep, maybe I'm not as good. If somebody's like really bad driver in front of me, I'm definitely not as good. But if you were to try to say, can I take away the fact that your name is Jordan from you? No, not really. Or the fact that I am a human person, which oftentimes we get cashed out as something like a, a rational animal. That's not something that's extrinsic to me. That's just fundamental to who I am. That's like, you can't separate these things. So in the same way, in a similar way, God is identical, not just to his name or his, or, or those things. It's, Fundamentally, these attributes of goodness, of justice, of wisdom, these things are identical to who he is. They're not extrinsic and they're not separable. So mm. the whole point of it is supposed to say God's not composed of things. Mm. So it is important to understand that divine simplicity is not a positive doctrine. It's a negative doctrine. And what I mean by that is it's not supposed to be telling you God is like this and this and this. It's supposed to say he's not like this and this and this. That's good. So it, he's not composed of these free floating ideas that just exist outside of him, goodness and wisdom. These just fundamentally who are, are identical to who he is. And there's nothing more fundamental to, to who God is than, than just God himself. Yeah, no. So th that's fantastic. So then kind of piecing it apart a little bit. So when we're dealing with God's essence, who he is, there aren't parts, right? So I think Aquinas talks about, it's not like God has a leg that's divine. Right. Because if he did, then that would mean there's more divinity somewhere else than in that leg. And how do we deal with that? So there's not like parts to God and his divinity. He's divine and he simply is. Then if we go to attributes, then what we have is that it's not like God is 10% goodness, 20% wrath, 30% love. It's that no, all of his attributes are necessary in that they are necessarily linked to who he is. So who he is 
what he does, how he is, all necessarily linked with one another. Is that am I on the right track there? Yeah. So it, it's it's like these attributes are necessary to who he is. So you can't you can't take them apart and still have God. There are, there are also things like coextensive. So they all sort of like link together in particular ways. So like one attribute sort of implies another attribute. They're they're connected in, in particular ways, but they're also oftentimes it's explained as if they are identical in most respects to where his, his goodness really just is his mercy. His goodness mm. just is his wisdom. Now that gets complicated. And part of the reason it gets complicated is because naturally we're talking about God, but also because we don't have a prior concept for anything that's really like this right. to give a good explanation for how it works out exactly. But there are reasons that we want to say that this is true. And there are also reasons that you can explain how do is it that how is it then that we distinguish between goodness and wisdom and wisdom and love and these other things. And so there's been complicated and difficult ways to explain this and to understand it. But that's part of God is supposed to be difficult. It's not supposed to be easy to understand God. It's not supposed to be easy to understand astrophysics. It's not supposed to be easy to understand the medical profession and become a doctor. And you would hope that your doctor knows what he's doing and is making very fine grained distinctions or else right. you probably don't have a very good doctor. Right. Uh, so a lot of these things are necessary. So sometimes you think, well, well this isn't super necessary. No, it is. It's, it's very, very necessary to make very precise and uh, distinctions and understand and sort of complex ways of understanding who God is. It is important. But yeah. at, at fundamental core, what we're talking about is just there's nothing outside of God that makes God who he is. He's not dependent yeah. on something else, and he doesn't fluctuate in who he is. That's good. That's I think that you encapsulated it really well there. And I think, like you're saying, there is a, a certain level of awe that has to happen in engaging with these things because it is remarkably complex and yet accessible simultaneously. So briefly here, I know briefly and the Trinity normally don't go together, but help me out with this. So God is simple. His essence is not divided into parts. Uh, and yet God is one in three. We have one God of one essence and yet in three persons. We're not going off into modalism. We're not going off into tritheism. We're not doing those things. What do we do with simplicity in light of the Trinity? Yeah, so you probably need more than 15 minutes to cover just that. But I will, I'm going to rely on a classic Protestant confession that says that in sort of, he talks about how God is simple, and then it explains how God is Trinity. And it says in this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences, the Father, the Word, or the Son, and the Holy Spirit of one substance, power, eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. Now, subsistences is probably not a word that you're familiar with. That can sound really weird and awkward, but it's a way that the reformers and and the medieval period and previous sort had a way of they created somewhat of a word to explain the way that God can be one and yet three, and the way they described it is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit subsist in this one infinite being, this one infinite essence. And they're distinguished by not by any substantial relations to where um, I like just a, a natural example is it's pretty easy to distinguish me 
from something else on my desk. I mean, from, from these headphone things here, like obviously I'm a material object. This is a material object. We're distinct. Right. Um, you don't have any of those sort of distinctions in God. And while divine simplicity denies all sorts of composition, it does not deny what has been typically understood as a, as a relation. So there are certain types of relations that are acceptable that fit with divine simplicity, which don't come under the category of things you want to say, no, that can't be true of God. Hmm. And that one of those things is this category of a personal relation, which the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are supposed to be distinguished by these peculiar sort of relations of eternal generation and eternal spiration. And we, you'll, you'll have to have an episode on to talk about those sort of eternal relations of origin, what they're called, because there's all sorts of richness within those that needs to be cashed out. But fundamentally, what we try to want to say is divine simplicity doesn't reject all categories of distinction whatsoever. It's one to reject yeah. composition. So the Trinity does not entail composition. You're not going to be there composed of three different things in the Trinity. That's that, that was the key I needed right there. Yeah. And I think that's, as we think through the Trinity, it can really quickly feel like there's composition, mm-hmm. uh, especially on a lay level, especially in a like entry academic level, it can feel like there's composition, but that is primarily what the Trinity does not mean is that there is not composition. So Jesus is fully and entirely God. The father is fully and entirely God. The spirit is fully and entirely God. And there's no composition in that makeup, right? Yeah. So, uh, no, incredibly helpful. Thank you for that. Um, we're a little bit running out of time, but I do want to ask this a little bit, if you could give me kind of a 30 second on this. All right, simplicity, it's big, it's beautiful, it's helpful. Give me kind of a one takeaway to the Christian life that simplicity can bring. So I'm going to give you two takeaways. The first takeaway is it. is not everything has to be directly relevant to your life for it to matter and be good. useful. So oftentimes in our culture, we can become obsessed with the practical. And sometimes Mm -hmm. God is very impractical. Mm -hmm. And that can be the takeaway is you're not supposed to do anything. You're just supposed to to look up and adore and worship God. Now, the second thing, I will give you something practical. And divine simplicity is supposed to really, at bottom, say that there's nothing more fundamental than God, but also really holds together everything in -hmm. in God. It's, It's not like the glue or something. It's just denying really fundamentally that God can lose any of his attributes or that anything could be external to him. So what that does for me anyway, is it reminds me that there is a constancy in God and there is a, a, a maximal degree of beauty and of love and of blessedness all within God. And that's never going to be taken away. So for me, that is extremely encouraging. Um, so I would give you those two takeaways. No, it's fantastic. And in many ways, the doctrine of God makes you rest on that first piece of, I don't know entirely what to do with this. Like this, this doesn't give me an immediate application. And yet in further dwelling on it, you begin to unpack these riches that you didn't see at first. And then you notice that it is having an effect on you. It is practically affecting you as you are continually dwelling on it. Um, Yeah. Thank you for giving us a brief breakdown of what this is. Well, Jordan, thank you for your time. I really appreciate you joining us and uh, we'll see you next time.